Before we get to the main event, I'll start with a recap. The birthday party is a code name for a nonviolent direct action being planned in the South Hebron Hills in the occupied West Bank. The birthday party is scheduled for Friday morning, January 3rd, 2020. But it's not until January 1st that most of the guests find out what's on the menu. Okay, so uh, there is a spring uh, nearby Tuani called Al-Bayda uh, Sibring. It was the main resource for the, for the people of Tuani and villages nearby like Rakiz and Mufagara. Uh, so it was the main resource of water uh, for these villages. But Palestinians haven't been able to access this spring for years. That's because Israeli settlers from an outpost called Avigail have claimed the spring as their own. The Palestinian name for the spring is Ein Al-Beda, or the White Spring. But on official Israeli maps and road signs, it is now called Avigail Spring. This most directly impacts the villages of Twani, Rakiz, and Mufakara. But Palestinians from across the South Hebron Hills are coming together to help reclaim the spring. That includes Tarek from the village of Umalcher. Tarek believes this action will send a strong message to the Israeli civil administration, which controls the area and prevents many villages from getting water. Like with the start of the new year, we won't allow you to carry on with this. You have to stop it. This is not right. People have the right to uh, get water. The party has been planned by a coalition of Palestinians and Jews, including an organization called the Center for Jewish Nonviolence, or CJNV. Tarek says the presence of Jews is essential to keep Palestinians safe from the Israeli military. Without diaspora Jews or Jewish activists or Israeli activists, uh, there is a slang word for that. They will kick the, the, the shit of our asses or like they will, they will fuck us, like in other words. Sorry to this, but they will fuck us literally. And this was going to happen. Through CJNV, more than 40 Jewish activists from the U.S. and the U.K. have traveled here for this party. Each of those guests has chosen a risk level before the action. Green for low risk, red for high risk. The action plan is as follows. We will get to the spring. Team Green will move up the hill towards the land of Sheikh Said, who is the owner of that land. And we're going to do some planting there. Team Red is going to do work at the spring. I think just to be really clear that there's a material goal of the action and there's a symbolic goal of the action. And the material goal of the action is to make the spring more accessible. And the symbolic goal of the action is to reclaim the spring as a Palestinian site and to tell the bigger story of the restriction of water rights in Palestine. For Tarek's cousin Alda, telling that story is what's most important. I personally like, uh, I don't want to be arrested. But like, to be, to be honest with you, man, like uh, tomorrow, like the attention will be really strong. Like the media will talk about this. And w- this is exactly what we want. This, we want the people, we want the world to know exactly about what's happening here, about the conflict, about like what's happening. Okay, like if, if I like talk about what's happening personally or like anyone from the Palestinians, the message will not reach the world. But when the people who are internationalists, uh, Jewish, you know, like Israeli people, all these things send messages, you know, at least the people will hear their message and they will take care of it more than the Palestinians. I want the people to know like about exactly what's happening, uh, that the Palestinians who are living, you know, in these, in these you know, places, they're suffering and, and what's going on in the media, like daily media, most of it is fake. 
the Palestinians they are not a terrorist they just simple people seek about simple rights and and with these people uh, I think uh, our message will be really strong the night before the party someone leaks CJNV's pre-written press release to the IDF that means our plans have to change the army could easily block us from getting to Tuani in the morning so most of us go down there to sleep overnight we were asleep but no sleep till the occupation ends But in the morning, it turns out that the people who stayed at the hotel in Bethlehem got through to Tuani just fine. I learned this from Tarek as we start walking from Tuani to the spring. Yeah, we came with them actually. From Mughir. Nothing was on the road. Weird. He's walking with a pack of cigarettes in one hand and a juice box in the other. We're here. We're troublemakers. We'll do some troubles. Two years ago, I spent nine days in the West Bank with a group of 44 diaspora Jews who had come to practice co-resistance with Palestinians in the South Hebron Hills. The South Hebron Hills are in Area C, where Israel has total civil and military control, where settlers claim more Palestinian land every day, and where Palestinians live under constant threat of violence, demolitions, and displacement. But as these threats have escalated, so has the resistance. And that includes a growing movement of Palestinians and Jews working together to oppose and obstruct the occupation. For a few days, I got to see what that looks like. For Unsettled, I'm Max Friedman, and this is The Birthday Party. Part 4, The Spring. By now, you've heard me say over and over again that there were 44 Jews on the CJNV delegation. But on the morning of the action, I'm shocked how many, many more people join us in Tuani. Palestinians from the other villages in the South Hebron Hills, and Jews from Israeli groups like Taayush and all that's left. The organizers pass out water and snacks and tools, and bright magenta t-shirts that say end the occupation in Hebrew, Arabic, and English. By the time we set off for the spring, there's probably... 150, 200 people altogether. It feels really powerful. Two donkeys go by me on the left, carrying kids and giant water canisters and a Palestinian flag. Up ahead of me, there's a photographer with a couple of fancy cameras around his neck and a gas mask. It's about a half hour walk to the spring. Before I even realize we're there, suddenly the action begins. A small group of activists start running down the side of a hill and cross the highway. I don't really know what's going on, but I follow them. That's a sticker. There's a green road sign shaped like an arrow that says Avigail Spring. The activists pull out giant stickers, exactly the size and color of the sign, that say Ain Albeda, the Arabic name for the spring. There's two of these giant stickers, one to cover up each side. But first, they have to pull each sticker, quickly but carefully, off of its backing. One of the stickers sticks to itself before going on the sign, so it's not exactly flat. But there's no time for do-overs. It is what it is. Okay, we're done. The deed is done. 
The sticker team plants a Palestinian flag in the ground next to the sign and runs back across the road. Tarek, looking down from the top of the hill, shouts, Shway, shway! Slowly, slowly! Why are you running? This is our land! And now, for everybody else, the work begins. They're planting an olive tree just next to the entrance of the spring. I think this is the spring. Is this the spring? From the outside, the spring looks just like a few really, really big rocks on a rocky hillside. But if you look for it, you can see a space between the big rocks. That's the spring. It's like a cave with a pool of water inside. Someone spray paints Ain Albeda in black and Free Palestine in green on the rock face on either side of the entrance to the spring. A few cars drive by, presumably settlers. They honk their horns. A couple of them slow down just long enough to shout out the window that we're destroying nature, being unsafe, then speed away. While I wasn't looking, one of them must have actually stopped because within 15 minutes of those stickers going up, they're gone, along with the flag. So someone runs back across the road and spray paints over the sign. But then a different kind of vehicle arrives. Wait. Oh, fuck. Okay, let's go. All right. Yeah, where are we? The first army jeep is here. Guys, come at us. Come at us. Over there, to the side! This is Palestine! Now that the army's here, it's time for the protectors to do their thing. Those are the Jews who have been assigned to specific Palestinians to prevent them from getting arrested. Tarek's protector is a guy named Jim. So where's your escape route? Where's the escape route doing? I would escape this valley. Okay, thank you. That's what I wanted to know. It's right here. A few minutes after the first army jeep, a second one arrives. A couple soldiers get out of their vehicle and start walking up the hill towards us. So that's your escape route they just got that just cut off, you know. But if we start actually, if you start surrounding me now, that actually will uh, make them feel that I'm very, very, the most important guy now. But later on, I'll tell you stick to me, so I'll be around. If it's needed, I will be in your middle in a few seconds. I just don't want it to be too late. Yeah, no, I, no. Just try to stay between you and them, though. I'll just try to stay. Be, let's just try to stay between. If it's not clear, Tarek is telling Jim to keep his distance. If Jim stays too close to him, Tarek says, the military will mark him as an important target. That may be so, but I also think Tarek is not so eager to be protected. I remember what he told me last night. I'm, I'm not that coward to run away. Whatever happens, I will remain along with my friends, with my good friends tomorrow, um, let, it, let it be that we get arrested tomorrow. So what will happen? It's not in the, the end of the world. And it has a very strong message that we get arrested together. But from this point on, we're in sort of a holding pattern. More jeeps show up, more soldiers get out and just sort of walk around. They're watching us, we're watching them. Do you understand what's happening? Uh, with the like choreographed dance with the yeah. military? I mean, I kind of understand what's happening. That's Oren, a professor of Jewish studies from San Francisco. I don't know what the soldiers are waiting for, but I know what we're waiting for. For them to make us leave by presenting a closed military order. I keep thinking it's about to happen, and it keeps 
not happening. Is that what that piece of paper is? That's what that piece of paper is. With a map. Uh, yeah, we'll see who he comes and takes it to. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight soldiers for a few small pieces of paper. Whatever those pieces of paper are, the army doesn't make us leave. Not right away. But more of them keep coming. Now we're up to four. Ford, Ford army vehicles plus a one, the white one is police, yeah? Yeah, on this side and up above there's more. Oh, yeah? On the top of the hill, there's more. Next time I see Tarek, something has changed. Okay, so I just got a phone call from my mom and she told me not to be arrested, so I have to follow her wishes. So I think I'm retreating now, like from red to green. Just because she's your mom and she doesn't want you to be arrested or did yeah, something happen? she don't want me to because she actually suffers from a disease that in her testes, she get, they get nervous when she is sad. So I don't want her to be sad or scared. So I think I was treat. Even me coming here, that makes her nervous. That's a problem. So she told me not to be hurt and everything will be fine. How do you feel about this reading? Sad. I am completely sad. I'd like to stay with my friends, go with them. See, like that. Now there's two vehicles of border police. That's because that's when they start getting to arrest people. Are you waiting for that to begin or are you leaving now? No one wants uh, like closed military zone. They can't arrest you now. Then. Like, what's the charge? Yeah, right. So they, if they make the closed military zone, then we all of us go to the Sheikh Saeed's land. Maybe there I will change my mind. <laughs> you don't know. But like, in the end of the day, I have to follow my mother's wishes. But as it turns out, Tarek doesn't have to go anywhere because the soldiers don't really do anything. So people keep busy with work. I check in as often as I can with the people I've spent the most time with on this trip, like Bob. We're collecting dirt. We've got rocks. We're, we're building a basin that the uh, animals can drink out of that'll hold water. And so we've got the rocks up there. We're just going to seal it with, uh, with soil. When I find Lily, she's picking up sticks. How's London doing over here? London's doing good. It's a strong yeah. contingency. Proving our, our <laughs> London is proud. <laughs> You're gathering brush for the fire? Yeah. yeah. A group of women and girls from the nearby villages build a fire. It's cold out here, and the fire is nice and warm. It goes on like this for more than an hour. Rocks, rocks, and more rocks. One task is done and the trip leaders improvise another one. The idea is actually to make a path all the way from here around the big rocks down. <laughs> is there another trough? I mean, that trough is pretty much as troughish as it's going to get. We can just move some rocks around. A bucket of small stones is requested. How big is this small stone? It seems like they didn't expect us to be allowed to stay here this long. Remember, at the last CJNV action, when they were essentially filling a pothole, the army started making arrests after only 15 minutes. Remember when someone was like, we're not going to be bored. 
Frankie is one of the CJNV trip leaders. What's your understanding of what's going on right now? My understanding is that we're working on the well in the spring, and many of us are hanging out because we have far more hands than we need. And hopefully that will continue indefinitely. But there's some nefarious-looking fellows with jeeps, so we'll see how long it lasts. I've been outside and around the spring for an hour and a half before it occurs to me to actually go inside. Um, Tarek, can I, can I go in there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Tarek, what do you want? Between the rocks. The spring is like a cave. With all the wind and the singing and the shoveling outside, it's so quiet in the spring. Wow. The smell in here is so powerful. Almost like... Almost like sushi. (laughs) I don't know why that's what's coming to mind. It's so warm and nice in here. Bob comes in. How you feeling? Oh, I feel great. Yeah, this is is where I wanted to be. This is the climax, you know. This is what we were shooting for. What, what What exactly was what we were shooting for? Uh, just demonstrating our our uh, solidarity with the uh, Palestinians. You know, this is this is more of a war, a civil war within the Jewish community. You know, it's really a proxy war against the Palestinians. They're the they're the subjects and the victims. But uh, I was amazed at the number of people that showed up. I, I, I didn't really imagine that there would be this many people. So. Are there any tools left down there, you guys? In here? Just me. Any tools? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the teams down here by the spring are the red teams. The organizers assumed that the spring is where any confrontation with the army would take place. The green teams are further up the hill, planting olive trees in the land of a man called Sheikh Said. But eventually it becomes clear that there's a bigger military presence up by where the greens are, One by one, the army jeeps start leaving the spring and going up the road. So, one by one, the red teams do the same. So, in a way, what's happened is that instead of Tarek leaving the action, the action has left Tarek. Finally, I also climb up to where the greens are. And just then, more than two hours after we got here, there's an escalation. People are crowded around those two donkeys I saw first thing in the morning. The boys on the donkeys want to go home, and the army is preventing them from doing that. A Palestinian woman has tried to help the boys and got her hand caught in the metal contraption that they use to carry heavy objects on the donkey's back. There's one soldier who seems to be in charge. He's got bright red hair and a beard. He starts arguing with one of the activists in Hebrew. I got this translated later. In the moment, I had no idea what was going on. The soldier says, don't you understand that instead of helping these people, you're only harming them? The activist says, don't you understand that this is only a child who wants to go home? The soldier, does he need to be escorted by 200 people? Getting home is one thing. Passing through with 200 people who are looking for provocations, that's something else. Let me tell you, if you really cared about them, If you really wanted to help, you would conduct yourself differently. The activist. If you really wanted to help anyone other than the settlers, you would behave differently too. 
Eventually, he agrees to let the boys pass through with three activists instead of 200. One, two, three. Me, you, you. We're going. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, they're going to walk with him and make sure he gets home. And everybody else is going to stick back because we are not looking for provocation. We're going to let him. We're just going to let him go home. When the boys on the donkeys are on their way, the activists cheer. The soldier responds with withering contempt. Great success! Great success! Make sure everybody's taking the picture of the donkey. And if you, if you can please now having achieved the goal, please move back towards the trees. It would be much appreciated. If anyone, if anyone is in need. If anyone is in need of medical assistance, we are happy to provide. You're good? After all that, less than 10 minutes later, they let everybody pass through, and we all start walking back to Twani. Back in Twani, over lunch, Tarek makes a speech. So, my warm thanks to everyone, to everyone from the very beginning. And I, now I want to make special thanks to the decision makers and the people who were actually sitting together day by day and the meeting after a meeting until they made this happen real today. And that's, I don't want to sp- like go to names because I don't want to miss a name and they, they be upset from me. But what we did today is a very powerful action and I wanted you to understand that we did it as Palestinians it was actually in the end of the day our decision that we made to do this activity it doesn't came from nothing so our action today and the message behind this that we have the right to have water and it's a basic right it's not even for negotiations we have the right this spring belongs to us and we just came back to this Spring with you today. We pile back onto buses and drive north to Bethlehem. It's Friday. It's about to be Shabbat. Back at the hotel, people take naps and showers. And we meet in the hotel basement for Kabbalat Shabbat. We go around in a circle and each share a little of how we're feeling. Mixed emotions all around. Tired, proud, powerful, heartbroken. Grateful for each other and for Shabbat. For 25 hours to rest and imagine a different world. Max, he, him, um, I, am, I am very tired. Uh, I don't very often have a Shabbat practice and so I don't. I, I can't remember a time when I was so grateful for Shabbat as I am right now. Um, and, and, and also very grateful that our friends are not in jail.
ritual in general is it's just a tool for slowing down ritual is just a tool for slowing down and for paying attention and creating space where people feel connected and together becca is an educator and self-described shabbat enthusiast from the bay area this trip has been her first time in the west bank being here has been like a lot of new stuff. I think that my, um, I have a lot less experience with all of the things we've been doing than most people here, or at least that's my perception of it. And Shabbat is something that I have a lot of experience with and a lot of comfort in. And so there was a, there was a relief in doing something that felt like I know how to do this. I, I know what this means to me. I know how to like create something that, that can like pull other people in as well. And it felt really good. I found doing Shabbat in Bethlehem really difficult. Lily experienced Shabbat very differently from Becca. For a lot of people coming down from the action to embrace Jewish ritual and Shabbat coming in felt very kind of grounding for them and felt like a reminder of why they were there doing the work. Um, And for me, it didn't offer that kind of support or solace. It I don't know. I just I think doing a loud, expressive singing and prayer and ritual in Bethlehem in the West Bank, I, like I felt like I was a settler in Hebron. Like I've been there around Purim, and you have like you have settlers coming down Shuhada Street in costumes, singing Purim songs, and it feels very much like a kind of in your face, like we're here, know that we're here, like we're Jews and we're gonna, you know, that's what I've seen of settlers kind of claiming the space and claiming it as a space for their Judaism. And so I don't feel like amongst these existing power dynamics that we see in terms of the occupation, in terms of who controls what happens here, it doesn't feel like it's a space that's ready for Jewish prayer to be kind of, um, yeah, it's just, it doesn't feel like the land for it at the moment. Like, I think there's a, a very understandable argument about wanting to reclaim Judaism. And that was kind of what I was met with when I expressed my discomfort. I was met with an argument that was um, basically saying that, you know, we don't want Judaism to be claimed by the right and claimed by those who are violent or who dehumanize Palestinians and actually we want to bring it back to what we what it really stands for which is respect and love and and standing together and uh, it wasn't like they were trying to kind of change my views or tell me I was wrong but they they did kind of want to offer a counter narrative to my own which was to say that um, that they didn't see it the way that I saw it they saw it as a way to reclaim Judaism from the right which is totally fine. It's a really great thing. I mean, I'm not religious myself, so I'm not particularly kind of, that's not a question that plagues me amongst all the many injustices in the world. It's kind of pretty low down my list, but um, but I don't think the West Bank is the space where Jews should come to wrestle with questions about Judaism and where Judaism's got to. I kind of feel like do that in your own space. Like I would have felt much more comfortable if we'd gone back to Jerusalem. But I kind of feel like just being in Bethlehem and marking our Judaism here, it's not like it was a public statement. It's not like we were doing it in the street. But I still felt very uncomfortable. But for Becca, Shabbat was the first time on this trip she really felt comfortable. In the days before that, her desire for Jewish ritual was mostly unfulfilled. 
there is a point where it would be inappropriate where you know outward expressions of judaism are associated with um settler presence and the israeli army and those are violent groups so i understand the need to like sort of show up in a different way um and i think that within our group we could have done more we could have done more like why like what would what, what would be the purpose of doing more um i think that tradition has a a lot of potential to be a, a wellspring for this kind of work um that provides you know like restoration and inspiration and um and power to the work that's been my experience um and that's the that's the why it's interesting that the word they used was power and like i think sometimes i feel like the ritual and tradition like it make it sort of makes you feel good while you're doing this work and you can like attract more people to do the work if you tell them they can feel good while doing it than if you tell them they're going to feel bad while doing it and sometimes i think like fine that's just practical <laughs> right if you need more people you need them to feel good <laughs> um and then sometimes i think it's self-indulgent mm. and like things are bad and we should feel bad <laughs> i don't have a question yeah. does that resonate with you <laughs> I mean, yeah, things are, things are really, things are really bad. They're really bad here. They're really bad a lot of other places and we should feel bad about it sometimes. But if we feel bad about it all the time, then we burn out and we, we can't actually sustain the work. Um, and there have to be times when we feel good. And, you know, I was asking for advice before I came on this trip of how to how to you know spiritually resource myself while being faced with a lot of the bad and be feeling bad about all of those things and the advice that i was given was like go to the water and and like breathe really deeply and sing and dance and eat good food and laugh with people because otherwise like the work just becomes pain and and you can't sustain that but shabbat and ritual are not what's on the top of Lily's mind. We're talking on Saturday night, the end of the day after the day of the action, and she's been turning over a difficult question. What actually did we accomplish? As we were leaving on the bus back to Beit Jala after the action, um, I just remember seeing a lot of uh, army jeeps pass the bus going in the opposite direction towards the communities that we were leaving. Um, jeep after jeep after jeep seeing that and just knowing that you know if they're not headed towards Tawani and towards the communities that we were with today they certainly will be in the near future and feeling very aware of the fact that um, without a very sustained presence of internationals of of those standing in solidarity and being able to kind of leverage their privilege for protection of the community, we were just leaving behind a community that may well bear the brunt from settlers or from soldiers of what we had done. Great, we had a moment of calm for a day and we did what we set out to do for a day. But uh, what do we leave behind? We leave behind angry settlers. We leave behind antagonized and frustrated IDF. 
and we leave behind a Palestinian community that is more or less just as, if not more vulnerable than when we arrived. Yeah, I mean, we did something that was incredibly powerful and sent an incredibly strong message. But I do think that, I mean, I could, you know, I could WhatsApp Tarek right now and say, do you know what's happening with the spring? I would not be at, I would be most surprised, actually. I would be most surprised if he said, I think it's so clear. I would be shocked. Um, uh, will you WhatsApp Tarek right now and ask, what's, <laughs> ask him what's going on with I the spring? <laughs> Facebook message Tarek right now. Okay. Any news about the spring? He writes back a few minutes later. Tarek has replied saying, so yes, yeah, so all I asked him was, uh, do you know what's happened with the spring? And he said, yes, unfortunately, the, set- the settlers came to what we did and ruined it all. I think next Saturday we will do another action around it. Yeah, he said they, the settlers deleted all the signs that we drew using hammers. So they would have chipped it off, chipped it off the stones. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I think, I think that was essentially an inevitability. It's hard to be shocked about anything that settlers do, but somehow I am still surprised that they would go to the spring to destroy all our work on Shabbat. The detail about the hammers um, uh, uh, really is striking to me because I have, of course, tape from yesterday of Jim and Elia singing, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer out justice while they were working on the path to the spring. Yeah. <sighs> can you guys ask if there is a hammer up there, there that they one. can bring, we can use it? Down here we'd hammer in the morning or something. All As word gets out to the rest of the delegation about what's happened to the spring, I start to hear more and more questions floating around. I'll paraphrase. If the Palestinians can't actually go back and use the spring, then was the impact of the action only symbolic? If so, then wouldn't there have been more symbolic impact if the military had gotten violent? And since we were so well prepared to take care of each other if the military were to get violent, it's weirdly a little disappointing that they just let us clean up the spring and plant the trees and go home. And given what actually happened, why did we spend so much time getting ready and talking about our feelings? There were so many of us, and we were only there for a day. Wouldn't it be more effective to have a smaller number of people for a more sustained period of time? This is what I hear from some people. And I get it. As a journalist, as a person, I can also have the impulse to poke and question and analyze and doubt. Mostly, though, I just keep thinking back to that soldier on the day of the action, who stopped the boys on the donkey. There's obviously the mundane cruelty of it, 
the petty and arbitrary exercise of power over Palestinians that I've seen over and over again over the last few days. But what stuck in my head is that he was mocking us. Great success. Make sure everybody's taking the picture of the donkey. I can't know what he was thinking. Maybe he knew the settlers were just going to come the next day and undo the work. Maybe he thought he outsmarted all these activists by denying them a more dramatic photo op. Maybe he just thinks diaspora Jews are silly and soft. But what I heard in his voice more than anything is that he has the power of the state, and we don't. A couple days after the action, we have a chance to debrief with a few of CJNV's Palestinian partners, including Tarek and Ada. So one time I said, if you want to live in the South, you have to be patient and you have to have hope. If you, if you are not patient, this means that you cannot do anything, you will not succeed anything. And I think like all of you think about one point. Okay, like they came, they uprooted the trees, they, they like uh, removed or like uh, deleted the signs which we put. Okay, like we expected this, we expected this, but the point is like what we will do later. So like the next step is really important. We need to back, we need to go back there like one time, two time, like million time until we, we uh, get the water spring. Tarek has a slightly different take. Yeah, we need actions, we need to plant trees, we need to encourage shepherds to go back to their lands. We need all of kind of other projects, but here we want to set our priorities. If you make a demonstration every day at the spring side, this is, will like for me is something in the end of the day will lead you nowhere if it's not related with taking a real action. What Tarek means by real action is strategic campaigns aimed at laws, policies, and institutions which is a good reminder that as pivotal as this trip has been for me and many of the other people in this room, it's only nine days. It's one model of resistance. This is a long game. On the final day of the trip, at our big goodbye lunch, Lily is feeling encouraged. I haven't lost some of the questions that I came in with, but I... I have a kind of newfound respect for so much of this, um, of the organizing that everyone in this group is doing. It's not that I didn't respect it before, but I was definitely unsure that that was um, the best way forward or the most effective way to do things. And now I'm like, oh my God, there's so many people who have so much energy and drive and commitment and purpose and passion for this work. And however they're directing their energies, it's going to go towards a better world, and I have real faith in that. Everybody is asked to make a commitment to do something, to tell somebody, to write op-eds, give talks at the synagogues, or just talk to family. Bob is about to go stay with his cousin, who lives in Israel. They grew up together in St. Louis, but she made Aliyah. He knows they disagree politically, but she's family. He loves her. Do you think you're going to talk about this to your cousin? To your family? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to talk about it with my my whole family and I'm looking forward to it because you know I I think I can share this on on less of a political level and more on on a humanitarian level and you know my family are 
they're loving people. They're loving, generous, giving people. Uh, and I, I think on that level, they're more than happy to, I, I mean, I think they'd be willing to listen. A couple days later, I call Bob for an update about how it's going with his cousin. I, I told her basically what we did there and how safe I felt. I talked to her about how gracious, you know, our hosts were. And I talked to her about what we did, about the spring, and about the settlers, and about what the settlers did the next day, you know, after the action. Didn't get much reaction from her. She didn't respond to stuff she didn't want to hear. That was that was how I interpreted her response, or her lack of response. I'm staying in her house. <laughs> and I, I didn't want to push it, but she's never been over here. I said, you know, you should go over there and see, and see what's going on. She'd go to the West Bank, go to some of these, these towns, go to Bethlehem, go to Hebron, Ramallah. And she said, no, never. I said, why? She says, I don't want to get stabbed in the back. And I don't want to die that way. How do you feel being on the other side after spending nine days in the West Bank? Well, it feels it feels a little, you know, discomforting knowing that, you know, I have to be careful what I say. Uh, like, for, for example, doing this phone call, I couldn't do it from the apartment. That's why I didn't want to do this last night because, you know, people were going to bed and they would hear everything I said. And so right now I'm walking the streets, <laughs> not close to anybody. And, and it's, it's discouraging to think that, you know, the West Bank being so close is so far away, you know, intellectually and emotionally from, you know, the people that live here in Israel, you know. For most people, I would say. It makes me a little sad, like, really? You know, is anything going to change? A week after the original action, I go back to the spring with Tarek, a few Palestinians from the area, a few people from the CJNV delegation who were still in town, and a few of the veteran Israeli activists. They start moving rocks around, rebuilding the trough and the path to the trough. They plant a new olive tree near the entrance to the spring. Within a few minutes of our arrival, a couple of military vehicles show up. What? I'm wondering why even the soldiers came today. Stupid. We do nothing. We just like... Sometimes hard to, to understand how the occupation arms think. A group of young girls from the village stand in the middle of the road with a Palestinian flag, facing down an army jeep and shouting at them. You know, something I've been thinking about a lot is most of us for CJNV, we just came here for a few days, you know, um, but it's a lot of work for you guys. It's a lot of work for you all. I mean, you, the giving us a place to stay and 
making sure we get food and you know it's it's a lot of um yeah you all do a lot of work to make sure that those of us who come just for a few days are well taken care of um, yeah, this is, um and that's actually the like the 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 favor of that goes back to the culture and the traditions of my group the bedouins we are so generous uh, we are so hospitable and yeah we are so welcoming people so like this is in our even our genes and this is in our blood we have to get give the best hospitality i guess is is the is the few days of of help that we give just for a couple for a week or so is it you know is it worth it yeah it's actually like what we like what we did along with the CJMV it's very like small work compared to, to what we are doing in in real life but like the message out of it is very big so this is what we are mainly concerned about all of us the activists in South Hebron Hills we're all concerned about having this big big picture drawn by all of those people all together and we show it to the world there's a lot of uh, ignorance about occupation people just like see the picture that the Israelis draw for the world they don't they don't see the, the facts on the ground so people should know about it people because i tell you like all of the dates it's made out of the systems and the systems they are built by people like no president just came by his own and became president people elected presidents leaders and leaders start behaving this way so people can't change the whole system so like yeah and this is what i believe in and uh, since people uh, when people actually know about this they would change it definitely i don't think any 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 sane person in the face of this universe would accept a life like this you see this bulldozer now you yeah. see this bulldozer this palestinian bulldozer if it just takes off this highway and start working all over near the highway they will stop it no one is allowed to work and build na Uh, you want to eat? Sure. Ana ma malahili. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, so, see this bulldozer if it takes off this highway and start working near the highway they will take they will confiscate it. No one is allowed to work near the highway. So, yeah, go and find yourself some food. Yeah, you want some food? I'm well? okay. Okay. The birthday party was reported by Max Friedman and produced by Max Friedman, Emily Bell, and Alana Levinson, with help from Asaf Calderon. Music from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Oriel Eisner and everyone at the Center for Jewish Nonviolence. CJNV invited Unsettled to report on the Winter 2020 delegation, and they waived their usual participation fee, but they have had no input on the content of this series. You can find all episodes of the birthday party as well as photos from my trip and all of our previous reporting about the South Hebron Hills at our website unsettledpod.com. 
This miniseries has been a long time in the making, and we really want as many people to hear it as possible. If you've learned anything, if you've felt anything, please, share Unsettled and the birthday party with friends and family. You can follow and tag us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The birthday party is dedicated to two men I met in the South Hebron Hills who have since passed away. Tom Marver and Hashuliman Al-Haralin. May their memories be for a blessing. <laughs>